either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Pretty quiet week overall, especially for the weekend. They decided to do the first National Cinema Day. Uh, not a lot new talk about, but there's a few, and we will talk about them. A few uh, in theaters and for home streaming as well. Welcome. We were off last week, but we're back. Hopefully better than ever. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com. This is the Screening Room Podcast. We'll start off with a comedy in the aftermath of a huge scandal. Trinity Childs, the first lady of a prominent Southern Baptist megachurch, attempts to help her pastor husband, Lee Curtis Childs, rebuild their congregation. It's Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. Chronicle the ultimate comeback. Showtime! I just want to clarify some things before we... Before we get started, every woman is not built for the great responsibility of being a first lady. Pastor Lee Curtis Childs faces allegations of misconduct. His megachurch may never be the same. Lee Curtis and I, we're going to get to the other side. Here you go. Yeah, with the big old microphone. Come in closer, son. You're going to see what all the fuss is about. <laughs> Showtime. What's up? Fresh is our turn, baby. Damn. The first thing that stands out to me in this movie is this cast. So Regina Hall, who's always funny, and she's also she's a she's a very solid dramatic actor. But I mean, mainly you know her for being funny. Sterling K. Brown is a remarkable actor who I don't know for being right, funny. Right. This is a really unusual and fascinating um, role for him as a very over the top, very flamboyant, you know. At least in the movies. Now, he has done some TV shows that we haven't seen, so maybe there's some that we missed. Well, I think that the main show that he got known for is a drama. I know, but we're, we're so out of the loop on TV, we there are. could be some You're we right. missed. The point is, right, in movies, he's usually very serious and very good. Yes. This time, he's still very good, he but is it's very a comedic good. role. Yeah, he is very good, and he and Regina Hall are, are awesome together. And it's interesting, the idea, so they're, they're mounting their comeback after a scandal has driven them away from their congregation, and so they agree to have a documentary crew follow them around. They don't hire a documentary crew, but they do behave as though they have hired this crew. And that's where the friction sort of comes in, because <laughs> they're planning on just making a documentary, whereas Mr. and Mrs. Childs are, they say things like, okay, we can we can take that out in post, right? We can edit around that. Or like, cut, yeah. you know, let's try that again. And it's it's, of course, that all remains in the film, which is... In essence, a mockumentary. And that is how it starts. And it's very funny. Um, and it's funny, too, the way that the two characters are approaching this comeback in a little bit different way. And you can just see each of them kind of make a face as the other one is doing something that's not really what they had planned on in the first place. But eventually it becomes a lot more dramatic, actually, because what starts off is kind of a, a satire on, uh, you know, religion for profit turns into something about how toxic religion for profit can be, particularly for the faithful. Mm -hmm. And it's really an interesting film. And I think that these two actors are a great choice because they both can handle both sides of it. And this is the, it's actually the feature debut for writer-director Adama Ebo. And it's an expansion of the short mm -hmm. called Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. So, uh, yeah, this is getting into the features and a pretty decent uh, pretty decent start. Yes. And I think that, I mean, it can be a little bit 
um, confusing because it's a Monkey Paw production, which is Jordan Peele's production company. Right. It is not by any means a horror film, though. And this one not only in theaters, but it's on Peacock mm-hmm. uh, this weekend as well, called Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. And yeah, we liked it. Another one in theaters is a comedy drama awaiting a visit by a committee that could give his company an award for excellence. The owner of an industrial scales manufacturing business tries to resolve any problems from his workers in enough time. This is The Good Boss. The great Javier Bardem. Yes, in case you need a reminder about how good he is, and who does, really. But uh, <laughs> he's almost in every scene of this movie and just commands it. He's fantastic. In another satirical comedy that takes a little while to get to the satirical comedy, it is writer-director Fernando Leon de Aroa, uh, Aranoa. Uh, a, a nice name that I probably just butchered right there. <laughs> but uh, it starts out, you think maybe it's sort of a character study, a drama, because this man, yeah, he's the head of this company, and oh, he's all about, it's it's scales, and they make industrial right. scales, and it's all about balance. Everything must balance, you know, your work-life balance, and, and the um, employees are family here, and, you know, their problems are his problems, and okay, but then as it goes along, and he's waiting on the the awards committee to come inspect his company to see how things run to see if he's going to win this award those problems start mounting and they're led by an employee that he he had to fire he had no choice protesting the company with a bullhorn and signs from across the street and it's public land so he can't do anything to get this man off the property of course that would look horrible for the committee to see that so that's a big problem then there's other things about this new intern that uh, is returning his frequent glances and the, the head of his production company is worried because his wife might be banging another employee and all these things are mounting and that's when it starts turning to reveal itself as a satirical comedy just when the the security guard starts complimenting the bullhorn guy on his rhyme schemes of the things that he's shouting you're like wait a minute <laughs> and then it gets more and more overtly comedic and it it starts commenting on not only the good bosses his name is Julio Blanco uh, his self-image that he's so certain of that is so wrong. I mean, he's he's ethically challenged to be very polite, but uh, he thinks, of course, he's just it's just the the utmost of mm-hmm. you know the, the way things should be. And so it's a satirical look at the makers versus takers argument. You know, the the job creators sort of myth and the corporate uh, corporate culture. And it, as it goes along, it starts taking shots, some pretty obvious shots at some low-hanging satirical fruit. But that doesn't mean they don't land. Right. It's just a, nothing that's overly profound. But, uh, of course, Bardem is great. Yeah. And the more that his his character, Blanco, the less he can be trusted, really, the more that, that uh, Bardem can be trusted to... To get it across without going over the top, because early, you know, slowly he he reveals these little cracks in this self-image, uh, but never lets you doubt for a minute that the character believes it. He right. believes that the, what he's saying 
is the truth. Mm-hmm. And, and you start seeing that it doesn't really matter if things really are in balance, if the scales really are even, as long as it looks like they are. Right. Whatever sort of tricks he has to pull to those scales to make them even, he's fine with that in his world. So it's just another, it's a great performance by Bardem and really a good uh, ensemble as well. Like I say, it's not the most profound satire, but it is effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, enjoyed it. It's out in theaters this weekend called The Good Boss. And one more new in theaters this week is a war thriller. A small group of Russian soldiers have the task of taking Hitler's discovered remains back to Stalin in Moscow. It's called Burial. The Führer. He shot himself in his bunker in Berlin. This is more important than any of us. Look around you. What the hell happened here? There's no one here. Forrest. You see things. There's no one watching. We need to move out. What if you die for the protectors? No one cares. The war is over. The war is over. The war is not over. This is an interesting movie, but it might be a little bit hampered, I think, by the early marketing for it because it talks a lot about Nazi werewolves. And and it actually makes me think of a movie that came out maybe two years ago called Werewolf that was about orphans of the of the Nazis, yeah. right? Like uh, children of the of the camps and things who all kind of lived together in an orphanage that wasn't very well run and and it was called Werewolf because the idea that there were were wolves in the, you know, courtyard and everything that were hunting them, but they were really just dogs that had been trained by Nazis. And this one, though, which was... But that was a great movie, actually, if you haven't seen it. This movie, it's it's that there it was actually a, a group of, of Nazi soldiers trained in guerrilla wa- warfare mm-hmm. that the Nazis called werewolves right. because they thought it was a creepy name for yeah, them. Yeah, sure, which it is. It but is. when you say that in the movie, yeah. it, it conjures up certain images. Yes. Like, don't, don't come here looking for werewolves. Right. They're not <laughs> right. They're just, you know, they're just horrible people. But that aside, once you're in the uh, historical fiction part of it, which is the 1945 segment of it where... Uh, a small group of Russian soldiers are tasked with bringing Hitler's remains back to Stalin because, quote, Russians like to look their enemy in the eye. It's a good movie. There's a, a framing device where it's 1995 and Gar- Gorbachev, it's Christmas Day, Gorbachev has just resigned as president and a skinhead breaks into a woman's house and she tases him. And he's there because he believes that she can shed light for him on his deepest belief, his dearest belief, which is that Hitler did not kill himself, but survived World War II. So she tells him this complete story of what happens. That doesn't work as well, the the framing device of the 1995. It actually, it, it seems purposeless to me, honestly, and it doesn't really go anywhere. But once you're in the main section of the film, which is the 1945 traveling bit it's pretty effective. It's tense. It's it's interesting. I don't know that it really does anything new. It reminded me a bit of Dog Soldiers, oh, to be sure, honest sure, with you, except yeah. there are werewolves in that movie. And, of course, it's pretty timely because uh, Gorbachev just died. He right. just died this week yeah. at the age of 91. Yeah. Yeah, just died after a long illness. So, yeah, as long as you don't come thinking this is a werewolf uh, horror movie. No, and if, you're, if your interest is in 
World War II films, I think it is a fascinating, different look for you. Yeah, and actually, especially from the historical standpoint, we had a friend of ours who knows these things pointed out that the artillery, the, the firearms they use, are historically accurate. I know, I love that. So, all right, very yeah, thank nice. thank you, Casey. Tip of the hat. So uh, that is Burial, and it's in theaters now. A couple documentaries debut for home streaming this week. Ever since he started to oppose police brutality, civil rights activist and former San Francisco 49ers quarterback Colin Kaepernick's actions have reverberated worldwide, as shown in this documentary entitled Kaepernick and America. On August 9, 2014, the police killed Mike Brown, and that was the beginning of what you now call the Black Lives Matter movement. Don't shoot! We all hit a point in life where our eyes are opened up. Cops are getting paid leave for killing people. That's not right. Colin Kaepernick, his protest during the national anthem has sparked a national conversation. It's the president pushing on the power of the past and saying no more. Get that son of a off the field. He's fired! It is love that is at the root of our resistance. You will not replace us! There's a power in symbolism. So Colin Kaepernick takes a knee, and that becomes the symbol. How long have you been a 49ers fan? Been a 49ers fan for about 50 years since wow. I was a little kid, it's, uh, even though I grew up in Ohio. Long story. But the point is, I had a Col- and still have a Colin Kaepernick jersey mm-hmm. uh, long before he started the, the kneeling. And, and once he did, and I kept wearing it proudly, I found out pretty quickly how well his intentions, his original aim had been twisted for political and social commentary gain. And this one, the best thing this commentary does is really, uh, documentary I should say, does is reframe everything. Uh, Tell the story. It doesn't, I wouldn't say it breaks a lot of new ground. It just goes back and and reminds everybody this is actually what happened. And this, these are his Aims. This this is why he was doing it. And let's take a step back. And before it got twisted, and everybody else tried to tell him what his protest was really about, um, and and taking it over. This movie does a good job of reframing it and reminding who was really interested in dialogue and and healing from this. And it, and it starts back in how he grew up because his. His uh, status as a uh, mixed-race child growing up in a white household, that, of course, is going to shape his worldview. And in this conversation, it's important to understand. So it goes back through that and then his, his athletic stardom, and of course, uh, starting in the NFL and becoming getting, what, one play away from winning a Super Bowl and then essentially being kicked out of the league. So it gives his personal history and then does a good job framing that through a different context once the Black Lives Matter group and protest started, and he began to see that he wanted to make a statement about that mm-hmm. that issue, the police brutality issue, and, and how he started not... First of all, he, he didn't kneel at first. Of course, he just sat. And, it, at, and people didn't really notice for a few games. And then once they did, and he admitted, yes, he was doing that on purpose, then, of course, it all erupted. And the movie, I should say, it's a co-directing is Ross Hockrell and Tommy Walker. And... They also do a great job of reminding you how he, why he decided to kneel, and that was with a conversation with a former Green Beret and ex-NFL player named Nate Boyer who reached out and says, hey, if you still want to be respectful, this is how would be a great way to do it. And so he listened, and he, he thought about it, and he did it. And, of course, he was com- still 
constantly troop shamed. And that was just hammered and hammered and hammered in a red hot election year Mm -hmm. by all sorts of protesters and political uh, candidates and and everything else. So it's just a good, well-constructed reminder of all the forces that were working at the same time and how he became such a flashpoint for all these all these tensions that were in America in, in that time. And now we've had a little bit of time to look back on it. You're just reminded about how how things so quickly get twisted for, in this case, for the the aim really of white grievance. And I think there's a uh, there's one of the MVPs of this dialogue, of this uh, documentary, is an activist named DeRay McKesson, who really does a fantastic job in this documentary framing it through historical a historical lens and how the reaction, the the angry, hateful reaction to his protest really follows right along with history about how people who know the history could have just drawn it up and mm-hmm. say, this is what will happen. And he d- he does a fantastic job uh, framing that. And you get a lot of uh, talking head in, in uh, interviews as well, one of them with CNN's Don Lemon, who uh, is an executive producer on this film as well. So it just it does a really good job reframing events that we lived through here in the last few years. But now with the with the benefit of a little bit of space, just it's a good history lesson to to not get lost in in, in things that uh, we're trying to be t- trying to be twisted about this protest. And and they say that you know protest is is the work of hope. And and I think, as a lot of good documentaries do, it ends on a hopeful note nice. about how people like Kaepernick, who have spoken out like this um, years later, have found a redemption. Right. So, And then it also, of course, has a hope for, for healing for the nation in the future, which uh, seems a long way away, but you never know. But a well-worthwhile documentary uh, for home video streaming now called Kaepernick and America. And another documentary, this one follows John McEnroe as he finally tells his side of his storied career and performances on the court. This is on Showtime called McEnroe. I'm the greatest player that's ever played. Why does it not feel that amazing? You always worry. You're too much like your dad. He was a perfectionist. That's my biggest flaw. I was melting down. 37 psychologists and psychiatrists didn't help. It felt like there was no way that it could get worse, but it proved to be incorrect. John's a perfectionist. In his head, it's never good enough. I would dwell on tennis matches when I could have been a better dad. That's the worst feeling. You always hear, do whatever it takes to win, at any cost. Championship to McEnroe! Is it all worth it? I found it interesting when I was just doing some research for this and just start typing in John McEnroe in the search bar. And one of the first things, actually, when I did it, it was the first thing that came up. And it said, John McEnroe, angry moments. Is that what I <laughs> is that what I want to see? Which is perfect because for a lot of people, that's the first thing you think of for him and his outbursts. And so, so when you're coming at this documentary, you think, well, okay, why did he do that? And why do we still care? And I'm not sure this documentary really answers either of those questions, but it is entertaining. It's more of a celebration, I think, of his of his career than getting underneath and then psychoanalyzing him. And it's basically just a, a sit down interview. It's writer director Barney Douglas has McEnroe for a sit down interview. Looks like over the course of one long overnight in New York, he's talking about his life and 
And then you see him going out, walking the streets of New York, and once in a while somebody you know yells at him, hey, John. Uh, so that's the, the gist of it. Then you do have a little bit toward the end of some, some home footage at home with the kids. But So he's just talking about his, his upbringing and how he was always a perfectionist and never really, even when he was on top of the world, and he is, for, for people that don't know, one of the great tennis champions ever. And uh, even when he was on top of the world, he said he couldn't, he couldn't uh, enjoy it. And he looks back now and says, there's got to be something wrong with that. What's wrong with that? So you do see a decent amount of self-reflection, but it boils down to the fact that his father was a perfectionist and his father withheld affection and he wishes that he had a better relationship with his father. Okay, fair enough. Mm -hmm. Not exactly new. No. Um, And, you know, he, he doesn't, he's not really expecting you or asking you to feel sorry for him, which is good. Because it is hard to. He does admit, yeah. he, does admit he had it pretty good, mm-hmm. even though he, he wishes things were different. Um, so, so it's not like he's asking for your pity. He's just sort of you know explaining how he was able to compartmentalize his anger and not let it throw him completely on the court and get these, these outbursts and then just move on and still be athletically, you know, athletically inclined to go on and, and finish off and, and dominate a lot of opponents by focusing on their weaknesses. So uh, he obviously was gifted a tennis player. And one thing that's I think that's missing, especially when he talks so much about his father, you don't get a lot about his mother. Right. Um, there's hardly any mention of, of that relationship. I assume it was good because he doesn't really talk about it, but it's, it's a, in a documentary, that, to me, leaves a little blank space. Yeah, if a question arises in the head of a viewer, then the documentarian should yeah, predict that and offer an answer. It seems that way. But there's a lot of great uh, footage uh, from his tennis career, some thrilling tennis uh, footage that's weaved in, and some great pop culture stuff, because after he became famous, of course, McEnroe was out. He's a guitar player. He's out on stage with the Stones, and <laughs> you know you have that sort of uh, late 70s, early 80s stuff going on, so there's some great footage there, and, and a lot of talking head commentary as well. Every one from Billy Jean King to Keith Richards chimes in about him. So it's all, yeah, I know. So all <laughs> That's around, quite a continuum. It is. It is entertaining. I want to have a drink with those two. Exactly. It, it is an entertaining uh, documentary as long as you're not thinking that you're going to get some sort of deep psychoanalysis of John McEnroe because you won't. But um, And it is also interesting. They, they do talk to all his kids. Uh, his ex-wife, Tatum O'Neill, they certainly talk about, John certainly talks about, his failings in that regard. She declines to participate, which is, of course, um, up to her. Um, Patty Smythe, his current wife, uh, she's involved toward the end, and you, you notice uh, have his all his kids on camera, and you can instantly tell whose mom was who. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that's an easy call to make, but uh, especially if you're a John McEnroe fan, it's entertaining. Also, I think it's interesting that they there's really no mention of the double standard that someone like Serena Williams has gone through about her outbursts. Mm-hmm. Because with McEnroe, and even some of the contemporaries of his time, your Elon Stassi's and your Jimmy Connors, they all were given outbursts. And and today's players like Djokovic, they, they get angry on the court too. And, and it was more of a thing that's just what that's what they do instead of an outrage like Serena has had to, uh, has had to endure. But that's a whole other story. Yes. But you think maybe that might have come up a little bit, but it didn't. But still, an entertaining documentary. If you're a John McEnroe fan at all, uh, check it out. It's on Showtime called McEnroe. And one more. Let's go to Shudder for a horror comedy. Adam and Margot's housewarming party is a success. One couple lingers after the other guests, revealing themselves to be wealthy neighbors. As one night cap leads to another, Adam and Margot suspect their new friends are duplicitous strangers. Who invited them? Margot and I are so excited to have you guys for our little housewarming party. Hashtag Adam and Margot's crib. Cheers! Cheers! 
you think people had fun? Sure. Whoa! I gave our hosts a little scare. It seems like we lost track of time in the toilet. Oh my god. Hold on. Who invited you? We weren't actually invited in the formal sense. Or the informal sense. What? This is a great little house. We got a good deal because of the history of the house. It was just a little domestic murder situation. Hey, I wish someone got blown away in my house. Gives this place some character. Sasha might do a quick carving job. I'm giving you guys to the count of ten. Five. That setup just reminds me of that night we had a party years ago, and a good friend, he wasn't a, a stranger, a good friend of ours, just wouldn't leave. Yes. He just wouldn't get the hint. No, he really it's missed you. It's time to go. He missed you a lot. <laughs> but here we have strangers yes. that just want to hang out. Yes. Um, and it's a good movie. It's a fun movie. And um, and I think part of the reason that it works so well is because the two leads, Melissa Tang and Ryan Hansen, the married couple, they do such a great job of developing their characters because he is just Mr. Upwardly Mobile, you know, schmoozy, and she's wearing a dress like from Little House on the Prairie. She wants no part of this. She wishes this party was over. She's hiding in the kitchen. And the whole time you're like, what are they even doing together? And yet, when it's just the two of them together, you can really see it. And I think that's what makes this movie really work. Uh, when When the other couple... Uh, you know, they're they're described. You know who I mean. They, they looked like they were going to a really hip funeral. <laughs> <laughs> when they start, when their welcome starts to wear out, um, you really need to sort of buy into the connection between the two leads. It reminds me, to its detriment, of Funny Games, the Michael Haneke film about how your manners, your right. politeness can be your undoing. Uh-huh. And that's really the the tension that this movie kind of walks. But this movie is much funnier because well, Funny Games is not funny at all. And it is really clever and enjoyable. It's not the greatest movie that I've seen this year, but I very much enjoyed this film. And it is on Shutter right now called Who Invited Them? You know, before we move on to the lobby, we should mention the fact that there are a couple big releases in movie theaters this weekend, but they're not new movies. Right. They're bringing back Spider-Man mm-hmm. No Way Home, mm-hmm. and they're bringing back Jaws. Jaws on IMAX. On IMAX, which is fantastic. Now, that's the reason that Jaws, for over the past few years, a lot of movie theaters have had Jaws over July 4th yep. holiday. Just a regular old print. Yeah. Uh, but that's why they held it back. So they're bringing out an IMAX this weekend. And, and in some theaters, 3D. Yeah, and in some theaters, 3D. And then, of course, Spider-Man No Way Home, such a gigantic hit. Mm-hmm. So that's something that people can check out as well. And many of the showings for many movies, you know, don't quote us on which is which, but there are many, many movies this weekend at many, many theaters that are only $3. $3. Because that is the this is the first National Cinema Day on Saturday, September the 3rd, the national first National Cinema Day, trying, obviously, to encourage people to get back to the theater, mm-hmm. which is where we love to see the movies. Right. Highly recommend the theater experience. So if you can find a good movie at a good bargain. That's one of the reasons that they're saying that Spider-Man may once again be yeah. the number one film this yeah. weekend. It may yeah. regain the top spot. Or maybe Jaws. Maybe Jaws. Wouldn't that be crazy? It would be crazy. But that's, uh, that's going on this weekend as well. And now, let's head to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. 
Well, we missed it last week, but we're back in the lobby to get hip to some news with the schlocketeer, Daniel Baldwin. What's going on? Well, um, anyone that has missed Jordan Peele's Nope, it is now available on VOD to watch at home. Also, I'm not sure if you all ended up reviewing this one or not, but um, Wounds and Under the Shadow director Babak Anvari has a new film on Netflix right now called I Came By. It just kind of popped up out of nowhere. No, yeah, we missed that completely. Yes, and we will have to watch it right now. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Thor Love and Thunder will make its streaming premiere on Disney Plus come September 8th. And then Anna Lily Amirpour's latest film, the fantasy thriller Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon, will hit VOD and limited theatrical release on September 30th. Nice. That'll be interesting. Also on September 30th is, is the theatrical release of Walter Hill's latest film, Dead for a Dollar, which is a Western starring Christoph Waltz. Willem Dafoe, Rachel Brosnahan, and Benjamin Bratt. And then the clown-tinged horror sequel, Terrifier 2, opens in limited theatrical release on October 6th. I'm assuming a VOD release will follow later in the month. David Bruckner's new adaptation of Hellraiser will premiere on Hulu on October 7th, and that was written by the same team as The Night House. Really looking forward to that. Yeah, so excited. Also on October 7th is a Frank Grillo and Dolph Lundgren uh, directed video World War II submarine thriller called Operation Seawolf. Less excited for that. (laughs) (laughs) Universal is releasing Halloween Ends day and date on October 14th, with it hitting both theaters and Peacock on the same day. I know some people question why they're doing that, and the answer is honestly that October 2021 was the biggest month of viewership that Peacock has ever had, and I think they want to repeat that. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Halloween yeah. Kills going day and day. Of course. Year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know some people are saying that maybe doing that with two in a row would damage the franchise, and I severely doubt that. For one, Halloween Kills still made a ton of money, and I'm sure I'm sure ends will as well. But two, this is the last one that Universal gets to make, even if they continue it. Due to Paramount's recent purchase of Miramax, Paramount will have dibs on any future entries. So I don't think Universal really cares. They've made their money, and they're they want to boost their start their streaming service. Sure. Nightmare Before Christmas and Coraline director Henry Selleck is back with another stop-motion horror movie called Wendell and Wild that he co-wrote with Jordan Peele, who also is among the voice cast. And that hits limited theatrical release on October 21st and then arrives on Netflix a week later on October 28th because it's another one of those movies that Netflix has made where they're doing the earlier theatrical run before they debut it on streaming. Mm Mm-hmm. And on October 20th, well, October 28th through October 31st will be a uh, special limited theatrical run through Regal Cinemas only of a 3D conversion of George A. Romero's 1978 classic Dawn of the Dead. Wow. (laughs) Okay, that's fun. Hopefully the 3D looks great. I believe they dropped somewhere around the ballpark of seven to eight million on the conversion, so I'm sure it's a top end one. Wow. Yeah. And then there's been a bunch of Warner Brothers news, but it's not really anything of concern. We're going to have to wait for a few movies, but for the most part, these moves actually make sense as compared to some other recent Warner Brothers decisions. <laughs> First up, on December 9th, there will be the theatrical release of their House Party reboot. That was previously meant for HBO Max, but now it's going theatrical. And then moving on, Shazam! Fury of the Gods has bounced from its late December release this year to March 2023. 
Evil Dead Rise, which was also previously just an HBO Max movie, is now going wide theatrically on April of next year. Yay! And then the next installment of The Conjuring Verse, The Nun 2, has been slotted into a September 2023 release. Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom has been uprooted from its spring 2023 date and will now come ashore in December 2023, which is a smart move because the only big um, December releases set for next year right now are a new Star Trek movie and a new Star Wars movie, and since neither of them are even close to beginning production, I don't think they're going to make those dates. Sure, yeah. So Aquaman's going to have the rule of the the month there. They still don't have new dates for Salem's Lot or Last Train to New York, but I'm guessing one of them will hit October next year and one of them in early 2024. All right. We always appreciate it. And you can catch uh, the latest from Daniel anytime. You can follow him at The Schlocketeer. Hey, have a great holiday weekend. Hey, you too. All right. Looking ahead to next week. Well, we do get sort of a high profile release next week with Tom Hanks in Pinocchio. Also, Medieval. Barbarian. Tiny Cinema. End of the Road. And House of Darkness. All right, we'll see about those next week. But what do you think about any of them this week on streaming, in theaters? You want to talk? We love to keep the conversation going. Always on Twitter. It's easy to find us. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus and the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. That's all there for you at madwolf.com. So keep in touch if you can. Have a great holiday weekend. Enjoy some $3 movies. Hope you can find that for National Cinema Day. And we'll talk next week. Until then, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. 